0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, Phil Goldfeder, away on assignment. Actually, I'm away doing this show remotely from the uh, shores of New England. And uh, here on the Nachum Segal Network, nachumsegal.com, around the world, on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. And we are six months in. We've hit the six-month mark. And I got to tell you, folks, if you would have scripted this any differently... Or actually, if you would have scripted it as presidency as is, you wouldn't really believe it. And what I'm talking about, and we got so much to talk about this week. It's a chock full of political news, intrigue on so many levels, and so much excitement. It is, um, as Nahum likes to say, just the most interesting spectator sport. If you would have told me that the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world with the huge apparatus of government, would have snuck off into a corner with Vladimir Putin, our erstwhile friend slash enemy, frenemy, and the sides of a summit, and closeted himself for two hours without any staff whatsoever. Right? Not a single person. Nobody else went with him. And he took a translator, not a translator in order to translate from Russian, but a translator who spoke Japanese, a Japanese translator, that's according to reports. I'm not sure exactly, but no American official in the room. Um, and you would have told me that the president had an hour-long side meeting after a two-hour meeting together with Putin. Now, why didn't we talk about this last week? Well, last week, we didn't know about this. Last week, we were not aware... Of the fact that this meeting took place at all, and of course, the White House in denial about the fact why this is news at all. I mean, the truth is, everything's news, anything that the president does is news or newsworthy. That's just the nature of the presidency and the coverage. And the fact that this happens, you know, I think we've come to the point, and I, I again, I, I don't want to like to pile on the president, the presidency, because I think. Overall, over the last six months, when you look back, it's not a disaster. It's not the disaster that some were fearing, but it has been less than successful. I think that's a problem, and it's not been less than successful entirely because of opposition, because of the fake media or the fake news or the fake opposition, or because of the Democrats. A lot of it has been because the president has done, the president himself and the White House has done things that are just strange. They've done things that are just odd, and I think in this case, maybe it's just a level of defiance, right? The president came in, President Trump came in, and he wanted to shake up things. He wanted to shake up Washington. He wanted to shake up protocol. He wanted to shake up the world, and in many ways, he's done that. He's actually had that impact of shaking many things up and shaking up convention, but when you potentially jeopardize American interests, right, when he leaked confidential information, top secret information to the Russian ambassador in the Oval Office, uh, to the Russian foreign minister in the Oval Office that pute- jeopardized potentially Israel. And when he's had other breaches of protocol, but not going in to a meeting as sensitive, even a private meeting, even a friendly meeting, if it was, as he called it, just a social meeting, with vladimir putin given all the controversy surrounding putin and surrounding the relationship going in there it shows i think a level it's not it's not it's defiance i think that's what it is the president does not want to be told what to do he doesn't want to be told that he has to do this he doesn't want to be told that this is the conventional way of doing things if you tell him this is a conventional way of doing things he is going to essentially do the opposite which is interesting um it's something we've never seen before, but at the same time, we do have a country. We have interests. We have an important country. We have national security issues that need to be discussed. We have, of course, the Russian meddling and hacking, which the president still doesn't seem to have come to grips with or come to face the reality of the fact that the Russians hacked our election or I'm sorry, attempted to hack aspects of the 2016 election. Um, Strangely enough, and I'm going to finish this preamble as we kind of get to a little bit of an agenda. Strangely enough, the people who seem to right now, the conventional wisdom is, of course, that the president doesn't want to acknowledge the Russian meddling in the election because that delegitimizes his victory. And I get that to a certain degree. On the other hand, there are national security interests at stake, and if the Soviet, if the Russians are using cyber warfare against us, that's in t- very necessary for us to respond in kind, or at least to, very much to protect ourselves. And you know, when you go into a meeting and you say, "Well, to Putin, uh, did you do this?" and he says, "No," he says, "Okay," uh, I think the proper way would have been to say to Putin you did this, and this is what we're going to do, because why not let him deny it? I mean, why allow him to deny it? That's just, there's no reason to get into that. You have to, he doesn't, the president, our president, Trump doesn't seem to want to acknowledge or take ownership over the apparatus that he has, as we've said before here on the show, and Phil points out very correctly, the president has more information at his fingertips than any other person on the earth, and because of that, he should be acting accordingly the same way that you should have an aide with you, or an aide, the secretary of state, the national security advisor, somebody with you in a meeting with any leader not just Putin, any leader, anybody out there don't have these private sidebar meetings. It's such a breach, but I think the pres our president, President Trump wants to have that certain level of defiance saying I can do this, I'm going to do this. This is the way I've always operated. I've been successful in life, which he has. And he's going to do he's going to act accordingly. That's going to be the way he's going to do it. But at the same time You have to remember, there is a country. It's not just you. You are not, you yourself are not the government of the United States of America. You are not the entire country. You are the leader of the country, but you yourself are not. And I think that was evidenced also in this incredible New York Times interview that came to light last night when the president talks about Jeff Sessions. Now, remember, Jeff Sessions was his first first congressional supporter he was the first senator to endorse him he went out in a limb sessions went out there early when everybody thought that the trump is going to fizzle out and he did it and brought a significant imprimatur to donald trump from a certain wing of the republican party and that really propelled him through the primaries and through the primary process and the president told the New York Times that well, I wouldn't have hired Jeff Sessions. He told me he should re- he would recuse himself uh, in the Russia investigation as if, you know, Sessions was interviewing to be his personal lawyer in this issue. You know, Sessions was the attorney general of the United States, and the attorney general of the United States is a position that works for the people. And, you know, President Trump says, well, I wouldn't have hired him. That's a—well— uh, it's kind of, it's not just throwing somebody under the bus, it's throwing somebody under the bus and running them over again and again. And then even what I found more interesting was the way he talked about Rob Rosenstein or Rod Rosenstein, that Rob Rosenstein go ahead and appoints the special counsel and he says, well, I didn't know Rosenstein, he's from Baltimore, you know, not many Republicans in Baltimore, obviously. And, and everybody who opposes the president, he looks at it as, well, he must be a Democrat or have Democratic ties, which of course, is quite interesting when you think about the way his perspective of the world. His perspective is, well, you're either with me or against me. You're either fair to me or love me or I love you and you are unfair to me. And it's not changing, which we all hoped it would, or many of us hope it would. Some people want that. There's a level of Defiance that has come into this that is unprecedented, and I think we're all having to settle in and to understand that this is the way the presidency is going to be. We are one eighth, so that's six months, one eighth through the first term, and it's been a spectacular ride over the last six months. It's really been incredible when you've thought about the level, the frenetic level of news that has gone on. And I'll finish the preamble with this. There are a lot of people out there who clearly want Trump to fail and they want the presidency to fail and they're hoping somehow that you know he's going to do something so spectacular or he's already done something so spectacular. That he will be impeached. Now, he's not going to be impeached by this Congress. There's no question about it, Republicans. It's politics. This is politics, folks. You know, we can hope for different things, but it's a political game when it comes down to it. Now, there, are, that's not to say that there aren't people around the president who are in significant legal jeopardy, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but the president himself is not going anywhere, and I think the idea that we're going to continue to have this daily grind, this grind against him and against the presidency, you know, he represents a significant population of this country who continues to be with him, who is frustrated and angry with Washington. And he continues to lash out at, Washington in that way. I don't think he's doing it effectively. I think that's the problem. I think the big problem is the ineffectiveness of his administration thus far in many respects. And that's what I've gone upon. And, you know, we talk about appointments and the lack of appointments and continued lack of appointments. There's an article the other day about the fact that many people are, who were up for appointment and up for nomination have Withdrawn because of the process and because it drags out, and because they continue to not move forward with appointments as they should. And this is the, but the machinery of the White House has not been, and you know, I think from a communications perspective, you've seen a lot of frustration. Uh, I think overall, it's been relatively disorganized, but a lot of that lays at the feet of the president and the feet of the Twitter and his off message. Nature and you know, I mean, attacking Miko Brzezinski and attacking others on Twitter just is from a political perspective is just nonsensical. Okay, well, let's get to the other stuff that's going on this week, and we just have a big agenda overall. Uh, As I said, six months into the presidency, but the big story politically was the fact that or one of the big stories, particularly in New York, and I think has implications around the country, was the fact that Sheldon Silver, former Assembly Speaker of the Lower East Side, his conviction of on corruption was overturned by a federal appeals court because of a recent Supreme Court decisions in that it's known as the McDonald case. In Virginia, Governor McDonald was uh, acquitted of what's known as honest services th- fraud, and you know the essentially quid pro quo. You actually have to show that the quo was the actual government decision. Can't just be a meeting. You actually have to deliver something in return for the bribe that you potentially took. And I have to say, um, you know, Sheldon Silver, being who he is, obviously being a member of our community, um, a You know, this is a difficult one. Uh, You know, nobody loves some of the stuff that goes on in Albany. And I think it's, you know, some of it is unseemly. But, you know, as long as legislators are permitted to have outside income, which they are, you're going to run into these gray areas. And I think personally that uh, Assembly Speaker or former Assembly Speaker Silver was operating in one of these gray areas And this was um, potentially an overzealous prosecution, but they have decided that they are going to retry it. And, you know, the problem is with these these prosecutions is that you go forward and everything to a jury would seem unseemly. Right. It's disgusting. I don't want my politicians doing that. I don't want to go ahead. You know, that's not right. That's not right. Now, I there is a difference, unfortunately, between right and legal and to put somebody in jail potentially for the rest of their their life because something you might not think is right, or but it might not actually be illegal. Um, Yes, maybe they shouldn't walk the fine line there, but we will see what happens. Uh, I think right now um, his conviction has been vacated. He is uh, a regular person just like everybody else. Uh, He's been unfortunately... Tarnished, and his reputation has been tarnished, and that will not come back. Uh, he is not coming back to the assembly and uh, I wish him and his family well as they uh, as they continue to uh, to fight on and We will see that chapter has not been written we don 't know what will happen with uh, former Senate Majority Leader Dean Skelos and his son on their convictions whether that will happen, but that is big news this week, and you know many people are say, well, it should be that uh, um, it should, you know, it shouldn't be. He shouldn't. Uh, well, we'll just leave it at that. Another big news: David Greenfield, uh, city councilman from Borough Park, chairman of the Land Use Committee, one of the most powerful politicians in New York City, is going to lead. The is leaving the council, not running for re-election, in order to lead the Met Council on Jewish poverty, become the CEO there. Um, very big story because. This was done in the period after petitions were filed. So Greenfield had already submitted petitions for the city council. And in the process there to replace yourself is something known as the Va- committee on vacancies. So when everybody fills out a petition, you have a committee there. Should you decline to have the nomination, Your petitions are not wasted, all the signatures you collected. You can put somebody else in your place. And this is done pretty regularly. I mean, not always the committee have vacancies, but sometimes you will have what's known as a placeholder candidate. You will collect uh, signatures for one person with the intent of having another candidate fill. And this is done in New York, and this is the way it is. And all, all the good government groups are out there saying, oh, this is wrong because people wanted Greenfield, they didn't want. Uh, he put instead Common Yeager, a, a good friend, a longtime political operative and community board member, and uh, somebody who's familiar with the ins and outs of the city council and city government. And I think uh, a very strong choice for. The city council. Common Yeager was actually planning to run on a different seat um, in uh, the Flatbush area as opposed to the Bar Park area. And, you know, everybody says, well, this is unseemly. The voters should have a choice. Um, well, they do have a choice at the ballot box and people can still get on the ballot in an independent uh, way. But, you know, this is the law. I mean, this is like the idea. I know and everybody doesn't doesn't like it. But, you know, President Trump won the Electoral College but didn't win the popular vote. Although, We'll get into the election commission hopefully a little bit later as this, but uh, as far as uh, but he didn't win the popular vote and well he should you know that therefore that's wrong or you want to go another example well Trump won certain states and didn't win all the delegates in those states or. Um, Bernie Sanders won and didn't win enough, didn't have the delegates percentage. The thing is, politics, like everything else, or elections, like everything else, or a rule, actually, probably more so than everything else, are a business governed by rules and arcane law, arcane election law. And you operate within the law that exists. And to say that Greenfield collected petitions and therefore, but didn't, is not going to run at this point and therefore should leave the line blank and not have a Democratic Party candidate, not have a conservative Party candidate, just doesn't make any sense why you would not follow what the law prescribes. To me, it doesn't actually make any sense to go and do that. But everybody wants to say, well, this is part of the corruption. Yeah, well, New York has some pretty... Difficult election law, some pretty difficult election law makes it difficult for candidates, makes it difficult for voters, and that's a problem. But to single out Greenfield and Yeager in this as the worst and most egregious examples of this, um, you know, Greenfield didn't actually get the job with Met Council until Sunday. That was when, and that was in that interregnum period, if you will. that 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 happened. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say that I love the process of petitioning and the way it happens and petition challenges and how... You know, election lawyers knock one, other candidates off the ballot, but that is the law and that's the way it works and that's the way people win elections and that's the way elections happen. And if you want to change that, change that, but don't go out and criticize people who are interested in public service for the right reasons in order to make an example of potentially what I would call you know, some less than optimal... Legal things, and you know nobody worries about this until it actually happens. Um, and when it happens, well, then everybody all of a sudden there's a a, a spotlight on these little arcane issues out there. So, okay, now we're going to go back. We're going to go back to six months, and you know I we talked about Putin for a second. We talked about Sessions, but what we really got to talk about is the fact that now this coming week, uh, Paul Manafort. Jared Kushner and potentially Donald Trump Jr. are going to testify before the Senate. And, I mean, this is, this is going to be huge. Um, you know, and what are people are going to say, well, we're, we're kind of sick of the whole thing. But, you know, one thing to keep in mind here is the fact that over the course of the last, I don't know, six months or so, um, actually, probably even longer than that. I'm just, I, its going to be even before the election. Going back, let's say even to last July, right, um, 2016. There have just been repeated denials of any meetings with Russia altogether. That there's just nothing. And you know, we know that this meeting was—we know from the own emails, and we know the fact that Donald Trump Jr. responded to these emails that. He was expecting dirt on Hillary Clinton in this meeting. He was expecting some kind of cooperation or help, assistance from Russia, which was identified as the Russian government. And this didn't come to him from a political operative. I know we want to say, oh, this is opera research. This came to him from a music promoter who he knew. Okay, This Rob Goldstone was a music promoter. He's not a publicist. He's not a political operative. And yet... You know, you go back to July, you go back to September, Kellyanne Conway says there's no uh, there's no links with Russia when he talks about Carter Page. And October, right, Trump says it publicly in a rally have nothing to do with Russia. Hope Hicks, 11th of November, there was no communication between the campaign and any foreign entity during the campaign. December 18th, on, on Face the Nation, Kellyanne Conway say those conversations never happened. I hear people saying... It's like a fact on television that is not only inaccurate and false, but it's dangerous. And then, again, in January, right, up until the... Mike Pence goes on and says, of course not. There's no cooperation or meetings with the with the Russians. Um, February, I mean, repeated denials and over and over. And then, all of a sudden, you have this meeting. And then, you know, it's the drip-drip of information, right? Donald Trump Jr. says, "I want to be the most transparent. I want to get it all out there." But then, the fact there are eight people with this in, in the meeting, and we just it just keep goes on and on and on, and you have this disconnect between the fact that even to the New York Times, the president says, "Well, they talked about adoptions," and you know, then originally they said they talked about adoption. Donald Trump Jr. says they talked about adoptions. Now, actually, the Adoptions. this act that they talked about was about Mm -hmm. sanctions really against the Russians. And in return, Putin said no more adoptions. So really the issue wasn't, was really about sanctions. But either way, the fact is that there was this meeting did take place. And every day we hear about more and more people who attended this meeting and more and more people who were, Engaged in this discussion with the Russians, and it's just incredible when you think about it over and over that you just can't come clean about who was in the meeting and Some of these guys have some months who were in the meeting are you know somewhat unsavory now we 're going to find you know Manafort's going to be put under oath and well, you also have this interesting disconnect, I should go back for a second, where the president says it's fine to take the meeting. Donald Trump Jr. says, I wouldn't have taken the meeting, I didn't know about it. And the president then returns and says, no, everybody would have taken the meeting. It's no problem. It was OPPO research, that's what we call it. And most people in OPPO research, including myself, said we'd never take that meeting. You would always, you'd certainly never have the campaign manager in the meeting. You'd never have Jared Kushner in the meeting. You'd never put them in that kind of legal jeopardy or potential to have that. Um, One question about this, of course, is how did the New York Times get these emails? Clearly, they're coming from somebody. Clearly, somebody wants to set up Donald Trump Jr. And, um, you know, and or Jared Kushner, for that matter. Um, You know, Paul Manafort, I think, uh, can stand on his own two legs. But it's really, well, it's just really unbelievable. I mean, the New York has a cover this week, has... uh, uh president coming off of Air Force One and essentially scolding or punishing Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner as they come off uh, for this. It's it's really it's really quite um it's quite extraordinary. Just the whole thing and what's going to happen this coming week in the Senate is quite extraordinary. As I said, you know, the, it adds just the extraordinary nature of this presidency. And it's just, um you know, we're going to continue to just deal with this over and over um, and so you know let's so let's talk for a second about what's gotten done over the last six months and what hasn't gotten done essentially, you know, and you know the president came in said he was going to do health care. we're gonna repeal and replace Obamacare. We know what's going on with that. That is right now is totally stalled. Senate couldn't pass it. there doesn't seem to be support for it. and well, you know, We'll have to see. I mean, it's just, uh, and I think the new CBO score with regard to actually just repealing Obamacare, which puts 30 million people without health insurance, is quite incredible. One stat that I saw, like with West Virginia in particular, is there 180 thousand West Virginians on Medicaid, which is just uh, percentage wise, just an astounding number. And you just can't, you know, it's like in general with government. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, and we shouldn't tinker. We need to. We need to deal with healthcare but that doesn't mean politically it's going to happen. Uh, immigration, number two, big promise, huge promise, you know, build the wall. Well, we don't have the wall yet. And, you know, we're looking for it in the new budget, and we'll have to see what happens. Um, the travel ban, we know that's been in court. And we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, government efficiency, right, he's going to say. But I think the one thing interesting, was for, or draining the swamp, that, you know, the president promised and six months later we're probably not at a draining the swamp moment i think if anything the swamp is uh alive and well we see lobbyists um and i don't think the government works well without lobbyists and without interest groups and and the like that's just me to call me cynical about it but i think that that is actually something that actually gets stuff done but not you know not always in a in the optimal way but one thing to think about here is that you know this is unprecedented access for lobbyists and for big money interest in this White House. I know the President said it wasn't going to happen, but it has happened. And overall, just to get back to staffing and appointments, um, it's quite incredible. I mean, the if you go to Obama, right by this point in the presidency. Okay, Obama had five failed nominations had 203 confirmations that means sent a confirmation 165 people sent but not yet confirmed George W. Bush 185 confirmed and 132 not yet confirmed Okay, uh, Bill Clinton 206 confirmed this is by middle of July uh, 206 confirmed 69 unconfirmed Donald Trump 49 confirmed and 157 not yet confirmed So it's just, it's pretty amazing about the fact that how little of the government seems to be in place when it needs to be. Um, Another campaign promise, stop China. Um, Well, he didn't go ahead and call them a currency manipulator. And we don't know actually how much help China is being with regard to North Korea, but they don't seem to be helping pretty much at all. Uh, Russia, well, we talked about it. And just, I think overall, when you think about it, we aren't winning, I mean, or at least the president's not winning. The deal-making is not happening. Uh, if anything, you got to retool. Now, a lot of people would say, okay, let me figure out what I'm doing badly, what I'm doing wrong. The president doesn't seem to be introspective in that manner. And I think after six months in, I think he has to start thinking about how he adjusts or pivots in order to get his agenda done, because there's a lot at stake. I mean, healthcare, tax reform, infrastructure, this stuff is just not happening. And the American people want it to happen. We want these things to happen. All right, I'm going to go back very quickly. We're going to talk uh, very quickly with regard to the Voting Commission. And we, really quite incredibly, when I talked about earlier, and this was going to go for our spin award of the week, is the uh, <laughs> the Voting Commission met this week for the first time. And they had an interview with Chris Kobach, who is the Secretary of State of Kansas, who was the vice chairman of it. And they asked him whether who actually won the 2016 election, I guess, vis-a-vis the popular vote. And he said, we may never know if Clinton won the popular vote. And I I don't even know what that means. We may, may never know. I mean, the idea that we don't have certainty with regard to our elections is, is pretty incredible. And I think that creating this doubt and creating this level of distrust in the government is kind of exactly the point. Maybe some want to sow in the American psyche. And folks, I mean, government elections is not perfect, but we have to have confidence in the results. And uh, with that, I will bid you farewell for this week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Spin Class here on the Nakhlip Segal Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.